Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking lesbian sex scenes. We're talking generic interchangeable white kids. And we're talking they're hunters. And now they're hunting us. They'll eat anything. Hell, they probably turned Porter into a porterhouse by now. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking what is probably the epitome of queer representation in horror. This is oh my God. just <laughs> what we really strive to what we really strive for. <laughs> Sweet Jeebus. Yeah. I mean, I have things to say about this queerness. It's interesting, but oh boy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So everyone, we are discussing wrong turn four bloody beginnings for our little snow-themed month of horror. Um mm-hmm. As I said last week in our outro during Batman and Robin, um, you do not have to have seen any of the films in this franchise to understand no. what is going on here. Um, outside of the fact that this is a prequel that is set chronologically the earliest in the franchise, mm-hmm. it's also not a franchise that requires a lot of brain power. <laughs> no, no. This is like the sweet baby angel of horror movies where we're just going to have a really fun time talking about some pretty darn good practical prosthetics yeah. and FX work. But overall, this movie real stupid. Very stupid. But I will say delightfully entertaining. And yes. Y- we have talked about this franchise before on the Patreon, Joe. Um, mm-hmm. So if you have not, if you're not a subscriber of our Patreon, um, A, you should go subscribe. But sure. um, we have discussed our ranking of this franchise and we mm-hmm. have discussed just uh, general terms of rural horror, like what we think about it. But um, I guess, Joe, yeah, what are your thoughts on the Wrong Turn franchise? So overall, I like-ish the franchise i don't think any of these films are great to be honest uh you know i think we did the ranking because that new one was coming out last year and we also covered that as an individual episode on patreon and in hindsight i ended up really liking that one and it was shocking because that film was directed by the director of the original wrong turn the eliza dushku one which was just wild because they're separated by like 20 years <laughs> oh um so i know uh it's, it's not the same director it's the same writer different director there we go okay yeah but i was surprised at how much i liked the new one i have a soft spot for the original because mm-hmm. i love jeffrey donovan i love eliza dushku i like emmanuel shrieky that scene in the forest where she gets decapitated mm-hmm. is a banger so i recognize that a lot of these films aren't good shockingly enough most of them have queer representation so we can fully cover two three we're doing four right now i don't think five has anything and then six is just a big old buttload of what the fuckery yeah six is your (laughs) everyone yeah so at the risk of repeating what we said in our uh, patreon minisode ranking these it's just like one is solid two i think is really fun Mm. And probably my personal favorite, three is a hot dumpster pile of garbage. Yeah, three is the worst. Three is really, really bad. It is rivaled by five a little bit in terms of yes. the worst one because that one also sucks. 
Ooh, that one's really mean to women. Like, all of these movies are a little mean to women, but five <laughs> is, like, real mean to women. Yeah, that ending. And it has Doug Bradley in it, too. But if you're like, oh, Doug Bradley, I should mm -mm, watch that. Um, no, don't get lured in by that. Don't do that. <laughs> but I will say six holds a soft spot in my heart because, as I said, what the fuckery. Yeah, six, and everyone, six actually is a reboot. So even though it's called, like, Wrong Turn Six Last Resort or whatever, it is mm -hmm. a full-on reboot of this franchise. Sure. And then we get the other reboot from last year. So it's yeah. whatever. Um, but we're talking about Wrong Turn for Bloody Beginnings today, which, yeah, is uh, <laughs> talking about the origins a little bit of the Helicar Brothers before we just um, go into a standard hack and slash a bunch of quote unquote teenagers for 80 minutes. Yeah. Uh, also known as Canadian teenagers, also known as people who are dressing like it's still the mid 2000s, even though this is firmly set in the mid 2010s. Oh, like. I <laughs> I have oh thoughts about boy. some of the clothes in this movie. <laughs> oh, the clothes. Oh, the hair. Although it is set in 2003, so technically by the time this film came out in 2011, it's a period right. piece. Okay, you know what? You got me there wrong, before. <laughs> All the details. It's really important factual information to understand this movie. Look, I'm just saying everybody looks like they stepped out of a fucking Britney Spears music video. That's all I'm saying. All I'm Very saying. much so. Claire looking at you. Ooh, um, Claire. <laughs> well, okay. So everyone, um, this movie is the brainchild of one Declan O'Brien rip. Um, he unfortunately died earlier this year, so um, hmm. he's no longer with us. But he did direct the third film, Wrong Turn 3, but he did not write the third film. And... It's really funny because if you watch that third film, which is a hot pile of garbage, as I already Oof, said, and filled no, with really don't do bad it. effects, a lot of really wonky CGI, um, and then you watch this, and you're kind of like, huh, what changed? Like, what mm -hmm. what difference came about here? And I don't really have an answer for you, except for the fact that Declan O'Brien wrote this film as well as directing it. Um, he also directed Sharktopus uh, in between <laughs> three and four, so maybe he sure. learned some things. There we go. You know what? He really learned the craft on Sharktopus. Very much so. Um, and again, I want to point out that unless you're like, oh, like, good, he learned something with four. It's it's good, quote unquote, on a wrong turn scale. Mm -hmm. He also wrote and directed five. So, <laughs> You know what? Maybe he was just struck by inspiration, like something really touched him on part four. And we just got this minor miracle. I think it's one of those things because they were released within a year of each other. And I think they were both filmed back to back. Yeah, this feels like a mid-tier Hellraiser situation mm -hmm. where it's like we're going to Romania, we're filming five of them in a row, and one of them just happens to actually kind of be good. Yeah, and again, we're using good on a wrong turn scale. Yes. Like, I mean, I gave this a two and a half out of five, but do I really enjoy this one and find it highly entertaining? Very mm -hmm. much so. Yeah, I think I gave it a three. But I'm mm -hmm. very much right there with you. I, you know what? I liked it the first time around, and then I watched it again for this, and I liked it again. I'm not going to try to convince anybody this is a good movie, but if you're looking for a dumb, fun slasher film, this one's your jam. Yeah, and it's snow horror. I mean, we don't snow get horror. a lot of snow. It's like and it's filmed on location in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Um, I do one have of the some... coldest cities in Canada, Trace. Well, that's the thing. So, like during the daytime, like so, I watched the commentary for this. Um, and Declan O'Brien, actually, it's actually a pretty good commentary. That's probably oh, nice. better than a movie like this deserves. Like he clearly takes his work very seriously and it was mm -hmm. kind of funny because watching this i've seen this movie oof, probably four times 
I love that for you. I know I so much. Um, but like, honestly, you watch some of these scenes, specifically the lesbian scenes that we will talk mm. about, and you're kind of like, oh, this is like some kind of like fresh out of college, like 22 year old douchebag male film student. Yeah, no, no, he was like in his 40s making these mm-hmm. movies, and he actually is kind of endearing to listen to. So, I mean, if if for some reason you own this movie on DVD or Blu-ray, I actually would recommend listening to the commentary because it's not like revelatory, but it's uh, it's, it's an interesting listen. Okay, cool, cool. But um, yeah, frequently uh, we are looking at days that are negative 25 degrees and mm-hmm. also nights that are negative 45 degrees. Uh, this is Fahrenheit, of course. I don't know what it is for Celsius, but um, <laughs> a lot of blizzards, like it was yeah. rough for them. And they shot this within 19 days, uh, mostly on set at an actual abandoned mental institution in Winnipeg. Oh, wow. Okay. The only thing they didn't, so they had to build the prison sets um, because they didn't right. have those in the, in the uh, institution. I mean, thankfully. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the, the, the fireplace room, when they all get there, they kind of converge. Um, mm-hmm. That was not there. That wasn't, oh, you're going to love this. It was a curling club in Winnipeg. <gasps> yes. And when O'Brien says this in the commentary, he goes, I don't know if you ever curled, but it's a really strange sport. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, how dare he? And second of all, yes. Also want to point out, Joe, that for this 93-minute movie, there are 18 minutes of deleted scenes. Whoa, okay. Did you happen to watch those as well? Oh, I sure shit did, right before we started recording this. Um, nice, okay. Nothing great, although I will say that the first deleted scene is an extra three-minute scene that would go in the prologue, which, bear in mind, already mm. runs ten minutes long. I was gonna say, this is a super long prologue, considering how long the actual film is. Yeah, it's it's a whole ten minutes, so the movie proper is only about, at, minus the credits too, like 80 minutes, maybe a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a full-on sequence, though. It's not like, oh, we're just doing this thing and we're padding the runtime. There's there's a fair amount of, I don't want to say substance, but they clearly <laughs> spent time so that they could introduce the Hillikers properly. We're going to have to spend so much time like defending like why we're calling this movie good. <laughs> oh, my God. Folks, go into it open-minded and just enjoy the ride. Um, okay, so I don't really have much else except for the fact. So this actually is the first movie in the franchise to name them the Hilliker brothers. They were never mm. named anything beforehand. And right. this isn't going to make anyone warm to O'Brien, but the name came from... So while he was writing the script for this... Uh, he was reading an article about James Elroy. And apparently James Elroy, so his his mother's maiden name was Hilliker. But the article he was reading was about her rape and murder. And good, all right, so I was like, wait, 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 what's going on here? So I went and Googled Elroy. And here's the thing. His mother was a nurse. And at the age of seven, he saw his mother naked and began to sexually fantasize about her. Oh, sure. Yeah, classic fetish territory. He, I, I was like, okay, okay, this is something. Um, he struggled in youth with his obsession as he held a psychosexual relationship with her and tried to catch glimpses of her nude. And he's on record saying, I lived for naked glimpses of her. I hated her and lusted for her. Oh my god, I've seen this erotic thriller. <laughs> I I mean, like, and this is like a famous novelist, so I'm it's mm-hmm. just like, okay, but nevertheless, okay. um... O'Brien was reading an article about, yeah, her rape and murder in June of 1958, um, and was like, oh, her maiden name was Hilliker. You know what? I'll name these brothers Hilliker. Boo. <laughs> I was like, I'm okay, having a dude. love-hate relationship with Declan O'Brien right now. I know. It's, it's like a roller coaster of quality, right? But mm-hmm. it is what it is. Uh, so, yeah, um, that, that's all I have, Joe. So why don't we talk about what happens <laughs> in this movie? I'm I'm sorry, I need another 30 minutes to prepare because usually I'm not up this early. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> There's so much to talk about, though. It's true. Yeah, I was telling you off back. I'm like, I have three pages of notes for this somehow. <laughs> it's fine. There is like so many. I mean, look, I don't even know if this movie is particularly well made outside of the practical effects. Mm-hmm. It's poorly acted. There are, I, mean, I think yeah. it's shot okay. It's okay. I mean, there's nothing bad about it. It's not written very well. But again, listening to him talk about it, it's like it, it feels more like a job. Um, that he enjoys doing, but it's very much a, this is the type of movie we are making. And this is like, right. you have to have certain things in these types of movies, like naked sure. girls, like lots of gore, like stupid dialogue and stupid decisions. So it's like, he's aware, mm-hmm. even if the movie isn't necessarily like wink, wink at you. Right. And I appreciate that because I don't think a meta version of this would have mm. been very satisfying, but yeah, it definitely seems like this film knows what it is. I think I read a couple of reviews that says the film actively knows what it is and it doesn't try to do more than that. But what it does do is satisfying. And I will say again, just last last ditch resort. Um, OK, if you're like, ooh, like this is bad. Really go watch three and five to see what he is capable of or was capable of. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, don't call this one bad if you haven't seen three and five, because it can be so much worse. And also the fact that you said last ditch resort. And I was like, like the sixth one. <laughs> Y'all, there's so much incest in that sixth movie. It is wild. Ooh, I love it. It's basically also not a wrong turn movie. It's a hostile film. And it's kind of like erotica. Like it's like softcore porn. Honestly, I'm going to make us do it at one point. You know what? We'll have to do. I'm going to make us do two. So we, we, we come together for four and then I get two and you get six. <laughs> <sighs> Deal. All right. Okay. Two is good. Um, you know what? We'll hash it out in the future. Joe Lynch, everybody. Joe Lynch. Yeah. With all of the Joe Lynch problems. And successes. <laughs> We open at Grenville Sanatorium in 1974 as Dr. Anne McQuaid, who is played by Kirsten Harris, and I'm going to call her a Bunko Deborah Ann Wall lookalike. Yes, yes, you are 100% correct. And I will say that the additional scene, I guess, is meant to open the film, okay. um, but it's basically her getting interviewed by this male doctor. And oh. because in the 70s, they're fighting sexism. And so he asks if she's a bra burner. And <laughs> she kind of snaps at him and she's like, You just treat me as if my name was andrew and i'll be fine <laughs> hmm. All right. yeah i can see you don't need that because the sequence is already running long but at the same time it very much feels like why do we care that this woman is getting a tour very much so especially to only have her get killed if, i was gonna say unceremoniously like her death scene actually is a set piece but oh yeah but like she's not a character in this movie no. except for the fact that she seems to want to help them genuinely right maybe i think you could also infer that she's curious by the "ooh, could i get famous a la elephant man kind of deal mm. but uh you know what yeah we can be generous to her sure i mean she's about to get um well uh, a lot of shit happened to her and then just degraded even more with some urine so that's true yeah it's a bad first day on the job we'll put it that way <laughs> So she is being given a tour of this facility by Dr. Brendan Ryan, who is played by Arnie McPherson, and she gets briefly assaulted like an inmate grabs her hair and ends up plucking a hairpin out. So uh, this ends up, unfortunately, in the hands of the Hilliker brothers after McQuaid and Ryan have kind of like covered exposition about who these children, inbred cannibal West Virginian kids are. And uh, in case you were wondering, they don't have proper names. They're called Three Fingers, Sawtooth, and One Eye. 
Well, but, <laughs> which, okay. Which, they've always been called that, but... Mm-hmm. I, the, 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 the backs again the whole point of a prequel right is to give backstory and like fill in gaps of story that we didn't know before <laughs> sort of not really here it, it, is, it is condensed into this scene where it's yeah. just like okay um they, they they found them in the woods standing over the partial remains of what they think were their parents um mm-hmm. three finger was so hungry he ate two of his fingers one sure. eye was so hungry he stabbed his own eye out with a fork and ate it Okay, Black Axe mess. Yeah, and then the other one just sawed down his teeth. And they, oh, oh, also, they can't feel pain. <laughs> so Very important. We're doing a world is not enough uh, uh, deal here. <laughs> oh my god. I do love that reference. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, basically the Hillikers end up with this hairpin and they use it to pick the lock on their cell so that they get out. They assault the guard. They bite his neck. They eat his nose. This, and then, yeah. This actor, by the way, um, Scott Johnson, also plays mm-hmm. Sawtooth. Right. Yeah, there's a couple of people doing a double dip in this. I couldn't help but wonder if it was, oh, we're filming in Winnipeg in the middle of winter and also we're a $2 million production. Anybody who's not on screen for this entire movie, you're pulling double duty. Yeah, and I also, um, by the way, he also sings the theme song that no. plays over the end credits. <laughs> a true multi-talent. Y'all, so this song... Uh, I do like the song. The song is fun. It's kind of fun, but it's uh, so literally, I didn't even know because I never heard of it. And I hear the words wrong turn in the lyrics of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Hmm. I found a song that has that phrase in it. Interesting. I shazam it. (laughs) It's literally called wrong turn from the wrong turn for soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, God bless the days when we had literally soundtracks for every single fucking movie that came out. Like, who ran to the store? Who ran to the HMV in Winnipeg to buy the wrong turn for a bloody beginning soundtrack? <laughs> Even a, th- a $3 million budgeted direct-to-video movie, we're doing original music for this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, did you say three? I thought it was two. Oh, wait, sorry. Maybe it is two. I didn't go over that in my production, so I, I-, I fucked that up already. But yes, I'm sorry. It is a $2 million budgeted film. Wait, so that means you didn't tell us. How was this film received? Do people love it? Oh my god, shit. I really did fuck that up, didn't I? Um, no. <laughs> you were just so eager to pass the baton. <laughs> just I don't want to do it yet. <laughs> um, no. We were looking at a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, only based oh. on five reviews, by the way. Oh, well, we'll change that shortly. Yeah, um, but Letterboxd just have given it a generous 4.4 out of 10. So, you know... There we I can go. see about the halfway point. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But I mean, it's it's, it's just so interesting to me. Twentieth Century Fox was like, yeah, let's make a direct-to-video franchise out of that. Sure, but I feel like we were doing this a lot. Like a lot of movies were getting direct-to-video sequels around this time, especially horror movies. Oh well, yes, that <laughs> that's kind of what I meant. Sure, we should also point out, um, Declan O'Brien also directed Joyride Three. Oh, I think. No, it's the second one that people say they like. I I have definitely seen the second Joyride. I don't remember liking it. So, hmm. but I mean, you know, I might have been judging on a Joyride scale and not there a Joyride direct-to-video sequel scale. <laughs> right. Really missing that Lily Sobieski action, right? Uh, clearly, right? <laughs> okay, so... Guess what, Trace? All of the patients have been let out of Ward C, and it is pandemonium in this sanitarium, and this goes on for quite some time. A very long time, as that 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 music, the Blue Danube, plays over yeah. it. Um, 
immediately cluing you into the kind of tongue-in-cheek sense of humor this movie is going to have. Mm-hmm. Again, not meta, but it, it knows what it's doing. It knows you know what it's doing, and we're all having a good time. And yeah, I mean, this is demented shit, because we're, I mean, we're seeing a bunch of things happen here, and it's only going to get gorier from here. But we can't cut to the movie proper and flash forward 30 years until we torture this poor new doctor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just kind of glazed over this because we've seen electroshock therapy in various movies before. This whole sequence, frankly, reminded me a lot of uh, House on Haunted Hill 1999. Yeah which I think does it better because it's also a bit more atmospheric. But um, yeah, so this lady bites it after repeated scenes of her getting blitzed. And then more satisfactorily, we see Dr. Ryan pleading for his life as he is suspended in the air by barbed wire and his arms and legs are ripped off as they slowly close the door and kind of like pull it tighter tighter and tighter and this is where you'll get your i mean because we've already seen some decent practical effects already when the nose gets bitten off of that orderly mm -hmm. but the close-up shots of this guy's limbs getting ripped yeah. off yeah it, it does cut to cgi blood like once we get a wide shot and we just see his you know severed body like just leaking cgi blood sure but these close-ups are fantastic like this mm -hmm. there is some effort that went into this and it looks awesome Oh, yeah. Anytime we're seeing practical effects in this movie, they look great. And then there's a couple of sequences with CGI and they are shit. Well, it's funny because I also think in the outro from last week, you said good practical effects and I kind of clocked you and I was like, mm, I don't know about that. That's some pretty bad CGI. It's mm -hmm. only because Claire's decapitation. I have like ingrained in my head right. of how bad that looks. <laughs> uh I think it's fine. I mean, it's better than the double decapitation we get at the end of the movie, which is so comically funny because it doesn't look convincing. I just kind of die a little oh, bit. I mean, also, everyone, like, literally, like, this movie possibly has the best final scene of any film in the franchise. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> okay, yes. So everybody dead in this sanitarium and then we get the credits and we jump ahead to 2003 and everyone is looking the part everyone is fucking everyone is fucking yeah so we are introduced folks bear with us if you have not seen this movie you know what even if you have seen this movie <laughs> there are nine quote-unquote main characters in these college age slash high school teen characters mm. and fully four of them out of the nine look identical i had facial blindness trying to keep these white kids apart okay joe i'm telling you right now right, so there are two men there is vincent and, and there kyle. is kyle mm -hmm. and every single time i have watched this movie four times i've watched this movie i think they're the same person until vincent dies <laughs> thank god he dies early because if not it would just be a clusterfuck and then but then we cut to the scene of them all together and we see kyle and i was like wait who the fuck is this guy mm -hmm. and literally every time at the exact same moment four times i had this revelation of like oh my god those were two separate characters <laughs> mm -hmm. they both got the shaggy boy band hair they're wearing the men's flare jeans that were oh so popular in the early 2000s rip i like yeah. them bring them mm -hmm. back you needed to be tall. I was short. It was a bad look. Let's move on. <laughs> but yeah, Vincent and Kyle are identical, like very nearly the same height, same uh, like skin tone, same Hairstyle. haircut. 
they speak the same way. Like there is nothing to distinguish these two men apart. Well, because we know Vincent's supposed to be like a jokester, and he's the right. one that's fucking Jenna right now. But the problem is, mm-hmm. I get Jenna confused with Lauren. Mm, I think Jenna has slightly. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> Jenna has slightly darker hair. Well, yeah, Lauren has some highlights, and I think she yes. more pronounced bangs a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, the film never gives either one of them like a lot of screen time. Because honestly, no. Lauren, Lauren is out of this movie at a certain point. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, it's good. Like the movie at least knows well enough that it needs to get rid of some of these people, either by killing them off or just sending them out to the woods to die. <laughs> well, it also does this thing where I I, I notice this again every time where I'm like, oh. We're just killing the men first. Like, we kill a mm-hmm. woman relatively, like, in, like, the early, like, once shit hits the fan. Right. But we're making it so we just have a group of women at the end of this movie, which I True. support wholeheartedly. Oh, hard support. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, we're introduced to two separate couples having sex. The aforementioned Vincent, who is played by Sean Skeen, and he will turn back up as one of the Hilliker brothers later. And then we also have Jenna, who is played by Tara Vesna. And simultaneously, these two sex scenes are intercut. We're also seeing lesbian Sarah, played by Tanika Davis, as well as Bridget, played by Caitlin Wong. And this goes on for like a couple of seconds. We're seeing a lot of female nudity. We're seeing no male nudity. It's very disappointing. Male gazy. Very, very, and that, that's like, why, and we get another lesbian sex scene later in this movie, but it's definitely a thing where it's like, yeah, th- this is where this feels like your 22 year old college, like fresh out of college film student, like, uh-huh. I'm gonna make something sleazy, let's get some lesbians, but honestly, yeah, I- I'm le- a little less bothered by it only because of the reveal that this is taking place in the same room. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's literally around the corner and they can hear each other. And then a new character, uh, Kenya, comes in, played by Jenny Pudovic, and she's just like, oh, you guys having sex again, you little slut monkeys. Slut monkeys. I, I, Love Kenya, it. I, I like this actress a lot, actually. I think she's, uh, oh, sure. I mm-hmm. think she's great. Um, I don't know if you knew this, though. Did you watch Canada's Next Top Model? I watched season one, and the production values were so fucking low that I had to stop. Gotcha. Well, the woman that plays Sarah, Miss Tanika Davis, she finished in sixth place on Canada's Next Top Model. Do you know what season? In 2006? Oh, it would have been season one, actually. Yeah, season one. Okay. Well, I should recognize her, and I clearly don't. Well, she's also, I think she's fine in this, too. Yeah, yeah. I like Sarah. It feels like we should get more from... Well, really, we should be getting more from all of these characters. They are not super well developed. No. Sarah stands out. She is one of two women of color. Well, immediately identifiable women of color. It's her and her girlfriend, Bridget. And especially when you realize, oh, Sarah's going to make it until the end. I wish that she was a better final girl. But really, she and Bridget have kind of distinct personalities, but they don't do much. Ooh, see, I think that uh, Bridget, so this is Caitlin Wong, she is mm-hmm. not a great actress. <laughs> no. It's also tough because she's saddled with the kind of whiny character in this movie. So she's very, guys, no, don't go save that person. Just let them die. Yeah, she's the Emmanuel Shrieky of this movie. Fair. But cruel, but fair. <laughs> I, 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 I marginally agree with your, your assessment of Sarah. Um, I think the issue is because, though, we do have Sarah and Kenya essentially splitting final girl duties. And True. I didn't know this, and maybe it's because I just miss it and I just gloss, gloss over it. Did you know that Kenya's 
is meant to be Porter's like girlfriend slash soon to be fiance. Yes. Yeah, they mention it because Kenya's like, oh, I just can't wait to meet up with Porter. He's off getting the cabin ready. You're like, okay, who's Porter? Miss that every fucking time. Probably because I don't know who Porter is yet whenever we start. (laughs) Well, it's also all happening in the big kind of group scene when they're meeting to gather around their their snowmobiles. And you're just like, this is just a sea of generic faces. I don't know who any of these characters are. And we're meant to know a character who's not even fucking present. And we never see, actually, even when we see his corpse, we don't even see his full face. <laughs> not really. But weirdly enough, he is a credited actor. You can look him up on IMDb. It's like he was fully played by a different actor. That makes no sense. No sense. Well, it kind of does when you when you learn who is. We'll get there. We'll get okay. There. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's introduce the rest of the group. We have Daniel, who is played by Dean Armstrong. I feel a little bit bad. I usually refer to him as the old man of the group because he just has older looking face. Um, No, it's because he's 38 years old. Um, yeah. Okay. So he is technically older. <laughs> now, th- there are two people in this cast that have their own Wikipedia page. And one is Tanika Davis, probably because of the whole Canada's Next Top right. Model thing. She she also had a bit part in uh, Saw 6. So, you know. Okay. That. Okay. Okay. Um, But uh, also this guy, Dean Armstrong, who... He was in the original, I'm the original, I'm sorry, the first U.S. remake of Queer as Folk. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, hmm. he was in there for five years as someone named Blake. Mm, I didn't watch that first one very religiously. So he he looks vaguely familiar, but I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Yeah, I've seen the first season like when I was in high school because it was basically my substitute for porn. So sure. I couldn't tell you anything about it. Right. I mean, you weren't really looking for faces. You were looking for chiseled bodies. (laughs) I was looking for things to masturbate to. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably not going to be his face. I I, I couldn't tell you. I don't even know what it looked like. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I wasn't seeing faces. But it wasn't this 38 year old face that we have right here. Because, yeah, he is clearly the old one of this group. And it is Mm -hmm. whatever. It's fine. He gets a really good death. (laughs) (laughs) He gets a really good death, and I do kind of enjoy that he's also the butt of everybody's jokes. He's the one who's actually, I think the other reason he feels older is because he's the one making sort of sage advice, like, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm going to put on my helmet before I get on a fucking snowmobile. And everybody's like, oh, Daniel, you're such a fucking killjoy. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. So my my husband um, does not like these movies. He doesn't like like the kind of like rural hillbilly horror type thing. He thinks it's very gross. Okay. So he's never seen this movie, despite my 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 hopes. I'm like, it's good, it's good. Your Watch hopes, it. your dreams, yes. But he's like walking by the room when, uh, when when I'm watching this, and he goes, "That guy looks real old." And I was like, "Because he is." <laughs> he is. Well, comparatively speaking, 38 is not that old. But no, among a sea of like 28 year olds, yes, yes, very much so. <laughs> Okay, so Daniel has a girlfriend named Lauren. She is the girl who is a really good skier. She has blonde-ish hair with the chunky bangs. She is played by Ali Tartarin. We also have Chauvinist Kyle, who is played by Victor Zink Jr., and he is dating Claire. Don't worry about Claire. She is technically played by Samantha Kendrick. She is not a character. I lose track of her until she dies. Okay, but she's blonde. Like, literally, I'm like, oh, the blonde one. (laughs) Because you're right. Lauren does have blonde-ish hair, but it is very much she's a brunette with highlights and claire is blonde blonde so at least that but you're right she has no fucking dialogue in this movie to the point where i was like the group splits up into two and 
Wait, who is that? <laughs> oh, Claire! Claire. So glad you showed up, Claire. There is an extended scene of when they're all getting stoned, and mm. Claire says, oh, because they're looking through um the pictures of all the inmates who have birth defects. Right. And she says, oh, they're kind of cute when you're stoned, and then they all make Ugh. fun of her for liking um, uh, a, a quote-unquote Oh, no. Uh, um, hold on. Nope. Um... They make fun of her for thinking freaks are attractive. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, not the most ableist film. We can also put that out there. Like, not super great with the female nudity and the male gaze, and not super good with ableism. Well, but the thing is, though, this type of subgenre, this rural horror, again, we're saying it's rural true. horror in place of hillbilly horror, because I think hillbilly might be kind of offensive. It's offensive, a little bit, yeah. Um, it, It's kind of baked into the concept of this subgenre, right? Because true. the whole thing is built around, we are afraid of backwoods people, mm -hmm. be they deformed or not of any sort. And actually, in the deleted scene of the prologue, when the doctor's taking the, the lady doctor on the tour, he's like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, we deal with like all these bird defects, blah, 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 things that are, and cannibalism, things that have afflicted the hill people of West Virginia for decades. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is super weird to suggest that like those are all comparable. Like, you know, if you live in West Virginia, you must also be inbred. You must also be a cannibal. And you're just like, oh, oh no, it, it, it doesn't work. Oh, OK. Yeah, it, it's again, but we're dealing with like sea level schlock here and so it's it's exploitative it's real <laughs> dumb as fuck and it is not yeah. nice so um unfortunately it comes to the territory but we can acknowledge it and you know go ahead true and and honestly if you want us to unpack it that's literally why we have that mini so that introduced a month worth of films that address the various permutations of it so uh i'm actually pretty proud of that rural horror section that we did on patreon and mm -hmm. i think a lot of those episodes are really interesting yeah because there's a lot of different i mean you know, like texas chainsaw massacre and we did uh the x-files episode home oh yeah 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 true, true, true yeah so a lot of good shit but, but there's more rural horror out there than you would think mm -hmm. and people have dissected it and critiqued it and like yeah you're right that this is exploitative and kind of c grade or b grade level schlock but it's tapping into an innate fear that a lot of city folk have yeah. of people who live out in rural areas. Very much so. But at the same time, the number of times they just call them freaks in this movie. <laughs> yep. Which, I mean, to be fair, they are like villainous cannibals. Sure. But I just love that the best they can come up with is like, we have to get away from those freaks. Freaks. <laughs> Fuck you, you freaks. You freaks. <laughs> oh, boy. These kids. Okay, so this group is, yes, they're planning to go on a ski weekend. Their friend Porter has already gone ahead to kind of set up the cabin, and they're going to ask Kyle to guide them there, and they're off having a great time, you know? We're in <laughs> the flatlands of what is clearly not West Virginia and is very clearly the Canadian <laughs> prairies, but we are having a ton of fun. <laughs> I I didn't even think about the fact that it's meant to be West Virginia, because mm -hmm. it is. <laughs> it is a snowy field. Yeah, very much so. We have a lot of flat earth it's in this movie. It's a lot of flat. Now, but granted, though, I mean, I, I appreciate all this. And also, because watching it, it's so funny, because there are many things in this movie where I was like, oh, that looks like a, a digital effect. Um, mm -hmm. Specifically, the snow in this movie and some of the blood. Yes. There were times though, and I'll point them out when we get there. Where yeah, the director's like, nope, that's not um, that's not a, that's not a digital effect. That that is practical. Um, wow. Okay. And the snow in this movie, every single bit of snow we see, even like during mm -hmm. the blizzard, is real snow. 
Really? Oh, that is shocking, because I definitely thought the snow that's falling was digital, and I thought that the snow on the ground was real. Because even like the way that they trudge through it has that kind of resistance that you get with real snow, as opposed to Hallmark movies, which is cotton balls. Yes, exactly. No, they they just had really bad shooting conditions, because they were shooting this in negative 45 degree weather (laughs) during a snowstorm. Well, you know what? Just makes me appreciate this movie all the more. That's, I mean, that's kind of the thing. Again, listening to this commentary was like, oh, you know what? Good for you. They really had to work. (laughs) In 19 days. And also, I mean, like, I apologize. We're going to make fun of this movie a whole bunch. We obviously do really enjoy it. But we're not belittling low budget or independent filmmakers because we know it's a fucking slog and you don't have the money or the days or maybe even the best equipment and you're out there hustling. So honestly, independent filmmakers keep on fucking doing your shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit, this is honestly like better produced than some of the other like low budget things that we see nowadays because oh, God, people yeah. rely on CGI so much. True. If nothing else, this movie is a great uh, example of why even if you have just a small budget, it's worthwhile to try to invest it into practical effects because this movie would be awful if it just had nothing but FX, like CGI. Bear in mind, too, this is a descendant of a film that is... The first film isn't very highly regarded by critics or audiences alike, but what it has going forward are the effects, which are done by master Stan Winston. Mm-hmm. This film doesn't live up to that, at least in terms of the the makeup of the Hillikers, because those things get worse every single movie that moves forward. True, yeah. But at the same time, though, I can appreciate the gore in this movie, which does mostly hold up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay, so we're out driving around, we're having a good time until we pause and realize... Kyle's a big dum-dum, and he has definitely gotten lost. So even though he doesn't really want to admit it, we're about one hour until dusk, and we have already dropped the fact that there is a big storm coming in. So there's just this cut, and it is dark, and it is snowing, and they are fucked. And they're like, uh, what are we going to do? We have to either backtrack, even though the snow has already covered our tracks, or, hey... Is that a big old sanitarium over there in the distance? Okay, wait, wait, wait. So first of all, we do get the movie's title because someone's, I think Kyle has some point. I think I took a wrong turn or whatever, which, mm-hmm. but no, when they see the sanitarium, the line, <laughs> I don't know who says this. What's that huge dark shape along the side of the ridge? Mm-hmm. Someone replies, I think it's a building. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's not just more ridge. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> this dialogue. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So we make it to this dark asylum and everybody just runs in. No one questions why the door is open. They're all just grateful to be inside. And it should be noted that Lauren leaves some of her gear outside on the snowmobile. This will be important what later. What an idiot, too. Mm-hmm. So we go inside. Uh, everybody's just immediately taking off their jackets. But also we're talking about how we need to get the power on because it's cold and maybe start a fire. <laughs> I was like. These two things don't work together. That's the thing. So they're taking off all their shit as if they're inside shelter that is warm already. Mm-hmm. But it's Or that not. they've explored and it's safe. <laughs> no. Look, there's a part later in the movie where they're like, oh, we found all these jackets from victims they've had before. Let's put them on and then we can go outside. Mm-hmm. They put these jackets on and leave them unzipped. And like they still mm-hmm. have like most of their skin bared for the rest of the movie. Sure. And one of the one of the characters, I can't remember who, literally says, ew, I don't want to put those on. <laughs> I think that's probably Bridget. (laughs) Probably. Oh, Bridget. 
Yeah. Okay. So we're relaxing. We're chilling. Uh, the men go to build a fire. We discover, of course, that there is no cell service. And we're mocking Daniel because he's like, uh, maybe we shouldn't explore. Maybe we should just stay in this area, hunker down until morning, and then think about how we're going to get out of here. And they're like, hmm, Daniel, why don't you <laughs> shut the fuck up? <laughs> You're such a little idiot. No, we're going to split up and explore. <laughs> Uh, this is also a point where we learn that Vincent is a character who is worth killing because he starts in on the lesbian jokes when he tells Bridget, you don't do hot dogs, do you? Oh, yeah. He's also the one that does the fake jump scare for all of them. True. Yep. Yeah. So immediately you're like, oh, this fucker needs to die. Ace. Uh-huh. <laughs> You've got cute hair for 2003, but it doesn't mean that I like you. <laughs> Okay, so most of the group does go exploring, and this is when they discover both booze as well as the aforementioned files in Dr. Ryan's office. Meanwhile, outside, we are seeing that the Hillikers, Three Finger, who is also played by Sean Skeen, as well as Sawtooth, who is played by Scott Johnson, and One-Eye, who is played by Daniel Skeen. Oh, shit. Okay, so we got a brother. They're actually brothers. (laughs) Right, yeah. Uh, And they are dragging the body of what we will come to learn is Porter, who is played by Dave Harms. So, okay, so they went to his cabin and got him? I think what we're meant to believe is that they've been using the sanitarium as a kind of pad, right? Like, this is where they've been crashing and bringing all of their stuff, but they have been killing people in the surrounding area. And bear in mind, this is supposedly what I'm going to assume was a government-funded sanitarium. hmm That the entire staff <laughs> was murdered 30 mm-hmm. years ago. Yep. And no one came to check this out. No one. Nope. The generator still works. The building is still in relatively decent condition. It doesn't look like much time has passed, except all the bodies have been taken care of. But of course, we are dealing with cannibals. Exactly, exactly. But their bones have to go somewhere. I mean, maybe there's something outside that we just don't investigate because it's covered in snow. Uh, you know what this movie is missing, though, is is like a body, like a skeleton. Ooh, a big, yeah, like a, a graveyard kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. See, missed opportunity movie. I mean, I don't know that they had the budget for it. Probably, yeah, buy all those bones from Party City. <laughs> reminder we don't have party cities in canada <laughs> right i'm sorry do you have spirit halloween we do have spirit, spirit halloween, halloween. Yeah. all those bones from spirit halloween <laughs> <laughs> walmart is also a backup option although try not to support a conglomerate if you don't have to this holiday season there you go <laughs> okay so kenya who is our single girl and one of the two final girls well she doesn't know she's single right now <laughs> true yeah she well She's one of the few people that we are seeing regularly who does not have a partner. How's right. that? <laughs> a presence partner. A partner who is there with them to grope them constantly. Right. That would be Jenna and Vincent. So these three go off and explore. This is when he proposes a key party and also scares them. So Vincent, big dick. Big idiot. Yeah, we hate him. So Kenya is pissed, uh, which leads to him trying to do a kind of make peace option. So he goes to find the generator, turns it on. We've got lights now, which means we can party. Okay. Have you ever turned your heater on after a very long time of it not being on? 
Mm-hmm. It smells gross. There's weird shit floating around in the air. Yes, because yeah. you are literally like burning dust. I actually would. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming this heater has not been turned on in 30 years, which means we are now burning 30 years worth of dust. Mm. <laughs> I feel like that would start a fire. <laughs> I mean, the the ease with which they turn on this generator suggests that maybe the Hillikers were turning it on sporadically as well. I sure. You know what? They're kind of resourceful. They seem to communicate relatively well through grunts. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, we can't call the Hillikers dumb because they do execute some fairly convoluted plans. That is very true. Jigsaw will be proud. Right. <laughs> Oh my god, Jigsaw meets the Hilligers. <gasps> oh my, that's that's what the next song movie is going to be about, because we know it's sure. getting filmed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so uh, part of the fun involves them getting observed by the Hilligers behind the two-way glass, but yeah. most of it is them wheeling themselves around in wheelchairs, having wheelchair races, and discovering that there is a giant auditorium. So uh, they watch a silent film, presumably 16 millimeter black and white, and we're seeing these really terrible experiments being conducted on patients. I wish that I was entertained by wheelchairs as these kids seem to be, because it is, (laughs) they're so happy to just wheel around in these wheelchairs. Um, It's like that meme where it's like, look at these people enjoying their life, not a cell phone in sight. (laughs) (laughs) Wheelchair races. Uh, But yeah, so yeah, they, they watch these videos and they're like, huh, that's strange. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. except for lauren who goes oh i know this story because my brother used to scare me with it those are west virginian hillbillies who were also cannibals but okay but like she she knows the, the, the them like so okay no one has been to this place no one mm-hmm. knows about these people but yet somehow mm-hmm. they're an urban legend to where this girl's brother told right. her about the, like why do we even have this in the movie just move that out of the movie it's fine it is very weird. I think it's meant to give Lauren a motivation for why she's so eager to get the fuck out of there. Like, Lauren does come off as reasonably intelligent. Like, she and Daniel seem more adult than everybody else. Well, I agree with you, and that is why I I almost hate that she leaves so early, or that mm-hmm. we don't get more time with her. I mean, right. there, is, there is a deleted scene where we get like more time with her trying to start a fire, but it's boring as fuck. Right. And that's why, because like, like, what can we do with this character when it's literally mm. just her on her own with no one coming after her? Yeah, I almost wonder if it would have been better to have kept her around. And then when the shit hits the fan, yeah. she makes a break for it. And then you could still have her do a little bit of this. And then you still get the kind of cruel ending that we get for her. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, regardless. So she basically tells this campfire story and then everybody goes, well, let's go to bed. i don't know about you i'm posting a guard or keeping someone awake because just because we discovered this place and it seems safe the front door was open and it's huge you literally didn't have time to explore it all you honestly are just trusting that there's nobody else in there i refuse to believe this place smells good (laughs) <laughs> that's your key takeaway this place also smells like shit like outside of the fact that it's old and again you're lighting a fucking heater over 30 years but like mm-hmm. there's presumably desiccated corpses somewhere around this place <laughs> maybe yeah 
I'm actually surprised that we never see them look for food in the kitchen because presumably they also don't have a bunch of food because Porter would have been in charge of that. Right. Well, oh, God, they're eating, they're drinking that 30-year-old scotch on an empty stomach. Oh, uh-huh. God, the hangover the next day. Then they're all fine, though. Right. Well, they're going to die. So <laughs> Spoiler alert, everybody dies. It's a prequel. Very much so. Although not in the way you would expect. True. True, true, true. Okay, so when he can't sleep, Vincent goes exploring, and we get this moment where he winks at the lesbians because, of course, they are having sex. This, <laughs> like, um, look, mm-hmm. yay lesbians. Yeah. Why is this scene here except just to titillate young titillate. boys? Exactly. That's all it is. It is, sh- but it's also shameless about it in a way that I almost admire. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I'm going to bring in my one and only reference because there is no critical discourse on this movie, Mm -hmm. except from our former guest, Alex Hall, who was ironically enough on about a year ago when we were talking more winter horror with Batman Returns. But Alex has a post about Sarah specifically because she's an interesting lesbian character in a horror film. Hmm. So Alex notes uh, that this is a pretty obvious example of black sexuality as an instrument for white pleasure. So literally in this scene, we have not just male gaze via the the audience, right? Like the audience gets to watch the sex scene, right. but seemingly these lesbians are having sex for Vincent's enjoyment, hence the wink. Well, that's also where I'm kind of like, well, that's not, well, I say it's not realistic as if people don't like being watched. Obviously, that's some do. Voyeurism exists. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. um, Yeah. We see Sarah look at him and just smile and she, instead of being like, dude, get the fuck out of here. She's like, huh, just keeps going. And then but then he walks away and I'm kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. OK. I, but to me, I read that as, oh, he, it's not sexy for him anymore because now he knows that they like being washed. Right. Yeah. And and in some ways, this is progressive and a little bit even risque where, you know, there's nothing to suggest that Sarah doesn't get off on being watched. And she's like, cool, you know, that only makes it hotter for me. And it's about female pleasure. So in some ways, you could read this as positive. And Alex goes on to actually say both Sarah and Bridget are shown receiving and experiencing more instances of pleasure than any other character in this movie. And I mean, Alex reads the end of the film and what happens to the characters as punishment for their queer sexuality. I don't know that I entirely agree with that because I feel like everybody is getting punished and I don't know if it's specifically pertaining to their sexuality. But you can say, you know, the movie is showing more instances of female lesbian sex and it looks enjoyable for all parties involved. So maybe that's an okay positive takeaway. If anything, too, the second, because, uh, yeah, it's clear that, that Bridget and Sarah don't mind being, uh, maybe not watched, but, like, that people know they're having sex. Because of that first right. scene, they're literally fucking in the same room as Vincent and Jenna. It's true. But, even, yeah, even in that room, like, all of the women are, like, really, really enjoying themselves. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, Vincent is just kind of lying there <laughs> doing oh, nothing. Oh, boy. Yep. We're back to what I described in Hellraiser as uh, just basically lazy, boring, sleep-inducing sex. Pretty much. Yeah. Although she's riding him. God bless her. I mean, she's trying. She's trying her best. And he looks like a mannequin. But yeah, we do focus more on the lesbian sex here. And yeah, it mm-hmm. it does feel a little sleazy. But at the same it time, is. it's like, but I'm watching lesbian sex in a movie from 2011. So, I mean, I, even though it's there to titillate, I, I do appreciate that it's here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's weird, right? We have conversations about representation and how we want to see more like explicit queer sexuality and it's here it's just it's so heavily filtered through a male gaze that you can't help but feel like this is in here for the wrong reason even if you know hypothetically lesbians and bi ladies are hopefully getting something good out of this it's hot i mean yeah it's it's hot (laughs) i mean the bodies be banging they're having a good time yeah yeah So Vincent ends up walking away, and this is when he does catch sight of Porter sitting motionless at the check-in desk, and before he can even react to the fact that this is clearly a dead body, he is stabbed through the chin, out the top of his head, and his body is dragged away. Oh no, he's not stabbed through the chin, buddy. He is stabbed up the nose because he is stabbed with a lobotomy pen. Yeah, but it goes through his chin, like it's the full head. No, no, it goes up his nose, out the top of his head. Okay, someone's going to have to do a tiebreaker on this, because I fully remember it being up through the chin. I watched this twice in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll defer to you. But no, because, because if it's a lobotomy pen, it's, he's getting a lobotomy, but it goes out at the top of his head, so up his nose, up the top of his head. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to fucking <laughs> screenshot for this you later. Of course you will, because you're a petty bitch. I am. I have to be right. When I'm right, I have to be, people have to know that I'm right. <laughs> my god (laughs) all right so that is the end of night one we wake up in the morning and jenna's like hey has anybody seen vincent he's gone i saw him leave in the middle of the night and everybody's like who oh you're not talking about kyle (laughs) sorry i can't help you um i will say so technical uh merit here so this is a wonder as we are moving from room to room uh, checking Mm -hmm. on these people and again this movie didn't need to do this but we are and so good for you mr o'brien yeah, yeah, it's a gentle, stylish moment, and you're like, cool, all right, you did that. Yeah. So this is when Daniel notes that all of their stuff is gone. So because they didn't post a fucking guard like smart people, <laughs> someone has stolen all of their bags and gear. Yep, and removed the spark plugs from their snowbo- uh, snowmobiles. Uh-huh, you betcha. So we end up breaking up into two groups to go look for Vincent. So the first group is made up of our lesbians, Sarah and Bridget. And then we also have Daniel, who is the older dude, and Lauren, the girl with the bangs. They discover... (laughs) I'm trying to be helpful. (laughs) The girl with the bangs. The girl with the bangs. I mean, what do you want me to say? The girl with the boots with the fur? (laughs) (laughs) No, the bangs is better. You're right. (laughs) Um, so they do discover the blood at the check-in, but there's no bodies. So Porter isn't there and Vincent isn't there. Okay. And then we also have another group, which is made up of Claire, blonde girl, Jenna, girl that Vincent was fucking, Kyle. Right. Kyle's the other guy. Okay. Vincent lookalike. <laughs> I literally had a mental lapse. Couldn't even picture Kyle? him in my head. <laughs> And then Kenya, who is our other final girl. So they explore a cage that is filled with medical equipment that could be used as weapons down the line. And then we also check out Ward C, which is where all of the inmates slash patients were kept. (laughs) Joe, my notes. This is the point. I have my notes. Oh, my God. Wait, Kyle is the guy with the bangs. (laughs) Vincent was dot, 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 someone else. (laughs) Yes. And not played by the same actor, but you could have sworn they were. Yes. Thank God. Vincent is gone. We'll never see him again. So now we just focus on Kyle. Well, we will see him as Sawtooth. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, under a bad mask. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so uh, this small group then splits up into individuals because these people are fucking idiots who have never seen a horror film. And Jenna is the one who ends up getting trapped in the kitchen as the Hilliker brothers end up hacking up Porter's body. Okay, but this is, again, one of the funniest things for me. So she sees this and she's like, oh shit, she leaves. Mm -hmm. And she just runs into the auditorium where the whole group is congregated and goes, they're going to kill us all! Mm -hmm. (laughs) And no one reacts. No one asks her. She doesn't say, I just saw Porter. He's fucking dead. We're just kind of hanging around for a couple of minutes. And then Claire basically backs up into a barbed wire noose and gets hoisted up. And folks, if you have not seen this movie... This is the absolute moment where you will say, well, these characters are so stupid, they deserve to die. Because you will watch Kyle run up to his girlfriend and, pull and begin pulling on her legs while she has a barbed wire noose around her neck. So he ends up decapitating her. So this is meant to be O'Brien's kind of pseudo homage to Sam Raimi because... Oh, okay. As this happens, like, Kyle is just having... like Claire's blood is just pouring it's all fantastic. over Kyle. And we get some close-up shots of her neck, and it looks pretty good. But yeah, when her neck, when her head comes off... Not so good. It Well, because the CGI, it like along, it like stretches her neck to the mm-hmm. point where it looks like a Stretch Armstrong doll. <laughs> yeah, she looks like a tune from Roger Rabbit. Yes, 100%, but like not good. Not good. Um, but it, it is really funny that this guy just keeps getting bled and bled mm-hmm. and bled on. And then he's on the ground, and he doesn't move. He just stands there and screams, I'm sorry, lies there and screams as mm-hmm. more blood pours on him. Yeah, it is pretty funny because he has fallen in the middle, so her her decapitated body is on one side, and then her decapitated head is on the other, and he's just screaming and screaming. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, this it is pretty funny, and he's covered in blood for the rest of the movie. And I think we're about at the halfway point here. So I mean, like, admittedly, like we haven't had a ton, like. I think you could argue that the first half of this movie has a lot of boring segments where we're just watching these kids walk around. Well, I think we're supposed to be getting character development out of those scenes. It's just sure. not working because, honestly, there's too many fucking characters. But, but uh, so here's the thing. You are correct. And I'm trying to decide. In this particular movie, mm-hmm. would I want fewer characters in favor of more character development? Or would I want to mm. keep it the way it is to keep the body count the way we have it? Yeah, because, I mean, the thing we're praising is the great practical effects, and the thing that we're saying is not super good is the writing, the acting, and basically (laughs) any of the dialogue. So giving more to the latter probably, I mean, would it have helped? We don't know. But what we're seeing here doesn't fill me with confidence. Yeah, not at all. So you're right, but I feel like it's probably for the best. Right. Yeah. So everyone ends up racing outside. This is when we discover that snowmobiles snowmobiles. don't work. And uh, Lauren says, you know what? My gear is still here because she left it out here. So her jacket, her skis, uh, a couple of other things. And she's also the fastest skier among them. So she will go down the mountain. The mountain trace. (laughs) Definitely not the flat field that we were snowmobiling around earlier. Yeah. She will go down the mountain for help. Um, and y'all say goodbye to her because we will see her twice more and once mm-hmm. when she's dead. 
True. I I will say I cackle a little bit every time we go back to Lauren because it's a split second of her just like wandering through the woods, trying <laughs> to light a fire, snow falling and extinguishing the fire, which I just died. Oh, it's so funny. It's, it's so, so funny. funny. Well, I mean, again, like, look, I'm sorry. We'll just say it right now. Her death mm-hmm. when it's so it is revealed. She gets she gets a uh, Jack Torrance. She's frozen to death by right. a tree. Mm-hmm. And the camera just like, you know, moves so over to the left a little bit. <laughs> And the road is right there. It's right there. As a car drives by, it is so funny and so mean. And that's what I like. Like, the movie knows what it's doing with these moments. Mm-hmm. Non-stop funny. I mean, yeah, it's 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 just a very self-aware movie. As you said, without being meta. It's not obnoxious mm-hmm. about it. It just it knows what it is. It's going for it. Yeah, exactly. So Lauren has gone for help, and everybody's like, cool, all we need to do is sit fast. They can't leave because they don't have jackets. It's still too cold. The storm is still kind of going on. So they decide we need to stay here. That's what Daniel advocates for. We're going to lock ourselves in the office. Bridget is having a full-on panic attack. Yeah. I can't stay here. We need to leave. She is not thinking clearly. No, she's she, she, but self-preservation. You know what? I respect it. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> She's all about herself and getting herself out of this situation. Absolutely. Fuck everyone else. Yeah. Fuck all these other people who are your closest friends in the world. <laughs> Folks, do not go on a ski weekend with Trace. Do not. Do not. Yeah, I will leave your ass. <laughs> so Kyle goads Daniel into accompanying him to the cage so that they can at least arm themselves with weapons because we saw all of those medical equipment pieces down there mm-hmm. so uh daniel doesn't want to go either but kyle's basically like oh, are you a pussy you're not a man so but then, but then the lesbian's like i'll go with you <laughs> yes so sarah volunteers that she will go even though bridget is like no baby don't leave me oh. yeah poor bridget man she, she is of no use to anyone not really yeah so we basically leave kenya jenna and bridget in the office so once again we split our group into two we kind of follow daniel and kyle and sarah they get chased by um is that the three finger with the chainsaw it's wait whatever it's yeah whatever and uh so we'll just stick with the women upstairs in the office because one eye is drilling through the door with Honestly, a phallic weapon that rivals Slumber Party Massacre. Okay, so you're right. There's also a giant chainsaw on Hatchet 2 that it reminds me of. But here's the thing. So I wrote in my notes, I was like, we, we get this amazing moment with mm-hmm. a comically large drill. Oh my god, so big. It's honestly the size of a human being. <laughs> Did you know, Joe, that this is a real fucking tool? Oh, is it? Okay. What it is, and I only found this out because of the fucking commentary, it is an ice auger. It is what oh. is used to open a hole in the ice for Oh, ice for ice fishing. fishing. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I'm literally sitting here like, this is a made-up weapon for this movie. <laughs> Every mm. time I've watched this, I'm like, what is this? Like, you know, I'm buying into it because it's it's wrong turn four. Sure. This hilariously enormous drill. Nope. It is literally a tool used for ice fishing. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's funny. I It still looks too big, but... Now that you're saying it, it makes sense. Google ice auger, you'll see some drills of comically large proportions of the same size. <laughs> Too funny. Okay. So One Eye is drilling through this door, and admittedly, as much as Bridget is kind of annoying, when Kenya gets grabbed by him, Bridget is the one who stabs him in the hand and gets him to let go. Oh, I mean, look, I'm making fun of Bridget. Like, I actually do like Bridget. I don't think the actress is very good, and Bridget is very, like, 
she's shrill but she's also the one who's kind of making a lot of sense like her and daniel are the two remaining characters who yes are often acting in self-preservation but are also kind of grounded and trying to get people to think through their ideas there yeah they are they are saying what all of us are thinking right yes they are the audience proxy yeah exactly okay so, uh, meanwhile, on the way back up to the office, Daniel is grabbed, making a run for it, and he is eventually tied to a table in the kitchen with barbed wire. Ooh, okay, so this scene, um, this is rough. <laughs> this is really rough. I remember the first time, this is where the, I really started to enjoy the film. Like, I was kind of on the fence. It was yeah. a little bit cheapy, low budget, the acting not so great, as we've talked about. And then you get to this scene, and you realize... Oh, the movie is mean, it knows it, and it's fucking going for it. Yeah. So everyone, if you were if you saw this movie title pop up on your podcast feed and you were like, I'm not watching that. Mm-hmm. Um let us oh, paint watch a it picture. for this. So <laughs> he is strapped down to this table and they start like cutting an onion, they put it in a pot, mm-hmm. and I was like, I guess they're making a stew. Right. Um no. They no. are making a fondue. Uh-huh. Because what they start to do is um first they cut off his left titty mm-hmm. and they just put it in the pot. Three Finger, like, samples the tasting, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is good. This is and good, they, yeah. I approve of this quality. They proceed to then... Ooh. It's not even flaying, because they are also removing chunks of his muscle. Yeah. They are just cutting chunks mm-hmm. of meat off this guy. And the funny, funny thing is, he is nonstop screaming in pain. Uh-huh. While we are cross-cutting to the scene of the other kids hearing this, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh my god, we have to go save him, and Bridget's like, um, no, no it's a trap, we shouldn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> so they vote. <laughs> they vote, and she's the only one who's like, no, we should not go and do this, and everybody else is like, Bridget, you heartless bitch. But we get so many shots of them, like, cutting his skin off, and mm-hmm. sorry, skin and partial muscle off. Yeah. It is... A, it's really well done, mm-hmm. and it is hard to watch, and it is. Is, he's constantly, he's awake and constantly screaming throughout all of this. Like, this is, this is the centerpiece of this movie, and mm-hmm. oh my god, it is fucked up. Yeah, and of course, Trace, you haven't mentioned that he's doing the thing that really bothers you, where he's just saying, oh my god, please let me die. Oh, um, yeah, so I don't care about that here, because... <laughs> It's wrong turn four. <laughs> but no, no. And he's got 38-year-old old face. It's No, so it's, here's the thing, though, Joe. For me, it's it's not please let me die. It's I don't want to die. Uh, okay. It's the difference. There's a big distinction there because he's like, mercy kill me. Whereas like uh, Janice in Deep Blue Sea is like, help me. I don't want to die right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, um, they, they, how do they, how do they kill him, Joe? Because he stays alive for quite a lot of this. He does stay alive for a very long time. Yeah. Um, so they they basically kill him by kind of mini jaws of life removing his kidney, I think. I think it's his liver. Or liver. Oh, I do have his liver. Yes, I have liver, question mark, is removed. But like, okay, they, they cut a hole, like a slit into his side. Mm-hmm. They insert this tool, which I'm assuming is a surgical tool. Yeah, it's a medical thing. And you hear his ribcage snap. Yep. And then, yeah, they pull out his liver and they just, like, toss in the pot and he is dead. This, I mm-hmm. mean, it, it really is that snap that is just like, oh, God. Yeah. Um, but this was this actor's acting moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And it's kind of fun, right? Like, if you look at the scene closely, you can tell that the actor who plays Daniel is crouched under the table. So it's his head doing all the acting. And the body is just a prosthetic body that they have made so that they can cut at it and do it. And then they cut to close ups of him reacting when they need him to be saying, please, God, let me die. Yeah, but it looks really good. Like, it's very convincing. Mm -hmm. These cuts look like they hurt. And it's really unnerving to watch these gleeful hillbilly guys just like plopping it into the oil sampling it like it's a perfect fondue so messed up um yeah i honestly here's the thing my dream is to be killed in a horror movie mm-hmm. i don't care if it's a big fucking like oscar-winning horror movie or if it's something like this but honestly i kind of wish it was something like this because right. you don't see things like I mean, you don't see things like this honestly no. very often this is this is a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a I lot and like it's this. extended, right? Like the movie recognizes that this is a big moment, even though it hasn't done a great deal to give these characters a lot of depth. No. This is still, as you said, I think the centerpiece of the film. The movie is like, let us show you what we can do with these practical effects. We're going to put on a show. Yeah. And and a show do they put on? Yeah. So, of course, we've also had Kyle watching all of this so that he can run back and report to everybody, holy shit, you will not believe what they are doing. They're eating him alive like some fucked up fondue. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) That that is a quote, everyone, by the way. I did not Mm -hmm. make that up. (laughs) No, that's not you. That's the movie. (laughs) (laughs) But this also galvanizes the group. So even Bridget at this point, they realize they need to do something and... They mistakenly believe that they are still dealing with quote unquote freaks that they Mm. have the upper advantage over intellectually. So they come up with a plan. Kyle is going to wield a fire extinguisher. So he beats them off uh, as they're trying to consume Daniel. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. wait. (laughs) It's also another joke gag where it's either Sawtooth or I think it's one eye. He he cuts off Daniel's finger and starts Mm -hmm. to eat it and he chokes on it. Yes. And so Three Finger, like, un- like he does the Heimlich or whatever the fuck on him, and he coughs out the finger that mm-hmm. then goes into the fondue pot. <laughs> it does. Yes. <laughs> but okay. But this is my favorite. But honestly, the biggest laugh for me in the whole movie. So yeah, he, he hits him with the, the fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay. But then literally these four girls just come running in with knives. And they're like, ah! <laughs> well, it's three of them because Jenna has also set a fire to guide them in a particular direction. But yeah, it's just the girls run in with knives and they're screaming their fucking heads off. Y'all, I, I can't, I get it. I, me just, it, just, it sounds not funny. Oh, three girls run in with knives and they're screaming. But just the, the way it shot the visual, it's the silliest fucking thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're not especially intimidating. You no. very much get the impression that it's the fire and just the suddenness of the screaming and there's bodies in motion. So the Hillikers do end up running and they have been shepherded back into Ward C where they are locked in. And that's kind of like, okay, we put a pause in the quote unquote tension if this movie in fact has any. The action is now over. We're going to take a beat and we now need to decide what are we going to do with these guys? So Kyle says, no, we should do. We should just kill them. And it's not just kill them. It's like, well, they're afraid of fire. So I'm going to burn them alive. Yeah. And Kenya's like, no, Kyle, you're better than this. Don't do this. Kyle. Man. 
<laughs> Y'all are idiots. <laughs> and everybody in the audience goes, no, no, you should absolutely do it because if you don't, they're going to get out and they're going to kill you. You're in a horror prequel, y'all. Kill them. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen Wrong Turn 1, 2, or 3, but we know it doesn't go well, so uh, you should burn them. <laughs> it was so funny, too, because the, the commentary is with the, the writer-director and then one of the producers, and he's like, the producer asked him, well, why did you want to do a prequel? And he's like, well, I pretty much definitively killed all of them in three. Mm-hmm. So this seemed like the most logical route to take. <laughs> fair. Very fair. Yeah. <laughs> so I should note, uh, we've had a couple of, of cutbacks to Lauren, but I do cackle with glee when she's trying to make that fire. And she's Ugh. so excited when it finally starts. And then there's just a pile of snow that falls off a branch. And, and she looks out. up at it like, oh, you <laughs> fuck you snow from the sky. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Um, OK, so now that we've got the Hillikers Lock behind bars. Kyle says, okay, I'm going to watch them. The rest of you go look to see if you can find the spark plugs for the snowmobile so we can get out of here when sunrise comes up. <laughs> they find nothing, but Kenya says, it's late. If we're going to have to walk out of here, we should at least get some sleep so we're fresh in the morning. So Kyle is watching guard. Everybody else goes to bed. Sounds okay, right? No. <laughs> Clearly something's going to go wrong, Joe. Yep. So Kyle passes out, and then we get this fucking Chekhov's hairpin yeah. from that opening sequence. So member Bunko, Deborah, and Wall, that's how they got out the first time. That fucking hair clip is still hanging around. So we in just the shitter. The lock. In the shitter, Joe. It's fantastic. It's so stupid, and I love it. <laughs> and the Hillikers are back out, baby. <sighs> okay. So. Kenya cannot sleep, so she goes to relieve Kyle, and this is when the power goes out. And <laughs> she, she gets gaspy, very scared. She says that she sees they're gone, and she runs back to the girls, and she just goes, The three freaks! They're gone! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. She's already doing better than What's-Her-Face Blonde Girl did, where she was like, they're gonna kill us all. <laughs> they're, they're, they're gonna kill us all. Like no context, just like no context. Bitch, just ooh. run into a room and yell that, and see what people do. Claire, this stupid oh, ass movie. Claire. <laughs> yeah. So Kenya at least manages to get that out, and everybody totally fucking panics because we realize, yeah, the cell is empty, the power has gone out, and we're kind of fucked. So we lock ourselves in this office and there's still that giant hole from the drill so they can peer out and they see what they think is one of the Hillikers wearing a Jason Baghead mask. (laughs) Trace, were you ever fooled by this? No, it's clearly Kyle in a Baghead. (laughs) It is indeed, but it doesn't stop the girls from taking their knives, rushing out, and stabbing him brutally to death, only to discover, oh no, it was Kyle all along, but he's had his tongue removed. Okay, so let me, let, so first of all, this is where subtitles come into play for fun, because um, one of them just, as they're stabbing him, goes, you fucking pervert, die! I know, which, <laughs> why are you, why are they a pervert? Yeah, what? <laughs> what? Admittedly, they did cut off Daniel's pants without his consent, so. I mm. will say, though, it's, this, this scene is surprisingly very bloody because yeah. they start stabbing him and mm-hmm. they're just going to town really? and then we get a long shot and they're just like stabbing him in unison just up mm-hmm. and down these four girls just stabbing the fuck out of this guy For a and while. we keep getting these close-ups of his chest as he is just like pouring blood out of his uh-huh. chest <laughs> oh yeah i mean here's the thing 
if this had have actually been the right person, it would have been a cheerworthy moment because they go to fucking town on this guy. They really do. And had they had that exact same energy at any other point in this movie when they faced the Hillikers, mm. they would have all made it out alive. Very true. Yes. I think this unfortunately dampens some of their spirit when they realize, oopsie, we just killed our friend. Yeah. <laughs> when they take the mask off and they're like, <gasps> Kyle, no. Oh, no. We loved Kyle. Mm-hmm. Also, this is a good time to acknowledge the fact that Hollywood loves to say that if you have your tongue removed, you can't speak. And that's not, in fact, true. Oh, yeah. My husband just watched um, Speak No Evil last night. So, mm. um... <laughs> tongue stuff in that movie yeah okay so unfortunately while they have been going stab happy on poor kyle their access to the office has been cut off and the hilligers are now after them and they have nowhere to hide so they run down to the basement and this is when they conveniently discover that room filled with winter gear because of course this is what the hilligers do they hoard all the things from the people that they murder so they basically have like a winter wonderland of materials to pick from so okay but they're so worried about freezing and yes they have mm -hmm. this whole thing why not put on about five coats each right and walk outside but no no no. they each put on one coat and don't mm -hmm. zip it up to where no. they're just like sluts walking around in the snow with a coat on <laughs> i mean here's the thing it's hard to look hot when you've got five coats on you got to keep them unzipped it's it's what i learned from my sister even though it's like minus 20 degrees Celsius, you wear a jean jacket with no gloves, no hat, and you don't zip it up because if not, you're not sexy. Yep. Well, these girls do stay sexy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they do. It's true. Okay, so at this point, we discover that the front door is locked. So even though, yes, we have put on jackets, but not zip them up, we also cannot get out of the fucking sanitarium. So Sarah eventually breaks a window after discovering one of the windows. She can like peel back the grate. But because of the snowstorm, it is completely filled up. So she has to dig a snow tunnel out. And I love it. I wish that we had to spend a bit more time on this sequence. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, this is like screenwriting 101, right? Where it's like, okay, we have to have something where it's like, ooh, they're, there's something impeding their way out, but they're trying mm -hmm. to get out. But like, you know, we're having a ticking clock. Like, oh, shit, they're going to open up the door, blah, blah, blah. Th uh -huh. This actually is the most effective suspense scene in the movie. Yep, I agree. But <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, when Jen is like, no, you go ahead. I'll be right mm -hmm. behind you. I was like, bitch, no, you will not. <laughs> You're like, oh, Jenna, hey, could you put on this red shirt just before we leave? Because I don't think you're making it out of the scene alive. Uh, <laughs> but I, I love all this. Um, this is really, really fun. They're, yeah, they're <laughs> apparently like the window is under a mountain of snow that they have to crawl out of. So sure. there you go. Yeah. So my favorite other sort of like filmmaking technique in this, like I talked about how Daniel's head was there and then they just had the fake body. The other piece of like low budget horror filmmaking that I enjoy is we see the girls go through this snow tunnel that Sarah is digging out. And then we just cut to the outside with what is clearly just a pile of snow that they put the girls in and then they like fall out of it. One hundred percent. You're like, not oh, that's convincing. not attached to a building. That's just a pile of snow. <laughs> Love it. I do too. Yeah, so sadly, um, Kenny gets a face full of blood because Jenna just gets absolutely okay. drilled the fuck through. Well, no, so here's the thing. They all make it out and Jenna gets like stuck, kind of. So Kenny is like, oh, I'll go back down and like grab her. So mm -hmm. she just crawls back in this fucking hole and then... <laughs> 
And then, yeah, Jenna just gets drilled through with this ice auger as, yeah, boom, just spray a blood. It's just like, mm-hmm. it's so silly. It's so stupid. But also, good effect. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I don't think it's the most convincing one. This is definitely when we get a bunch of CGI splashes. Like, Splatter, what we yeah. see on Kenya is obviously, like, they threw a bucket of blood on her. But when we see the drill going through, it's a definitely CGI blood, and it doesn't look great. Yeah, but the drill is actually going through, like, a prosthetic body, which I yes. appreciate. Yeah. Which, again, it's like, we had enough money to do prosthetic bodies for these actors. That's pretty fucking good. Yeah, yeah. Shocker. But, well, yeah. <laughs> that's why you're paying the actors so low, because they're not good actors, so you can spend more <laughs> money on the practical effects. How dare you? These people are Canadian royalty. <laughs> <laughs> did you play six on Canada's Next Top Model, Trace? I did not. I did I not do that. So. <laughs> okay, so we have three survivors left. So they race through the dark, and unfortunately, they never did find those spark plugs, so they are on foot. Unfortunately, the Hillikers do have spark plugs, so they're <laughs> on these snowmobiles, basically rounding up these girls like it's a Western movie and just terrorizing them. Yeah, they're just, like, circling them constantly. All right, so here's the thing. They leave, and they're like, where are they mm-hmm. going? I don't care. We're going to keep going. And mm-hmm. then this is an exact exchange of dialogue. Sarah goes, wait, stop. I dropped the fireplace poker. I've got to go back and find it. Mm-hmm. Kenny, we don't have time for that. Sarah, <laughs> it's a weapon. We'll need it. <laughs> like, bitch, mm-hmm. no, keep running. Well, and, and my favorite thing is that when she leaves, Kenya and Jenna are like, okay, well, we'll hide. And they're in the middle of a field <laughs> and they just duck down. Now, hey, everyone, queer people, two lesbians and a straight girl are the final three of this movie. This is true. This is so, true. Yeah. Woohoo! Yay! Woohoo! Progress. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the Hillikers don't waste much time. They do end up coming back. Uh, Kenya gets her back sliced up with some kind of, I think it's a mace or something weird. Yeah, I, something like that. I mean, they whack her. They whack her in the back. They whack her in the back, and she's not well as a result and bridget is briefly dragged via snowmobile off into the distance so when sarah comes back she drags kenya into the woods and she tries to patch her up i don't know why she insists that she needs to take the jacket off i'm like it's cold i think it's better you keep the jacket on joe negative 45 degrees fahrenheit let me (laughs) tell negative 45 fahrenheit here i'll i'll do music in between oh well actually you're in luck negative 45 degrees fahrenheit is negative 42 degrees celsius oh boy that is like (laughs) your skin freezes on contact that's what i'm saying so they're filming in this weather yeah wild like folks that's really 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 cool <laughs> yeah no like take your gloves off it's so funny because you're watching laura and she fucking freezes to death and you're like well come on like mm-hmm. no no but no like, you would you yeah, absolutely you would. would you would literally freeze to death <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like when you see people in like shark movies or disaster movies where they have to go in the ocean you're like well why wouldn't they just tread water or swim or something and it's like because of hypothermia yeah people forget about that cold shit mm-hmm but you know what? Honestly, not a bad way to go, though, because I feel like that's relatively painless. Yeah, like you would just kind of slowly shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you would think you're going to sleep and you would just die. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Lauren arguably gets the best death in this movie, if you gotta go. I mean, best meaning like least painful death. <laughs> Correct, yes. But she did have to watch that fire go out from that little pile of snow on the 
then look at it and hold her fist up and shake it like, damn you, you snow. <laughs> okay, so Kenya's in a lot of pain. Bridget has been dragged off. Uh, Sarah's trying to patch up Kenya. And then she's like, no, I gotta go after Bridget. I have to go after my girlfriend. And Kenya's like, no, you go. I'll be fine here in the cover of this woods. <laughs> And unfortunately, Sarah has waited too long because what we see is that Bridget has been put underneath a snowmobile and they are just revving the tread to the point where they basically just like, like, I don't even know how do you describe this. It looks terrible, but the idea is horrifying. So here's the thing. Two things. Uh, one, Declan O'Brien ran into this script writing and saying, I want to do... I want to do deaths that no one has ever done before. He's like, so mm-hmm. hopefully there are at least like three-ish deaths in this movie that you're like, I've never seen that in a movie before. Uh-huh. And he specifically references death by snowmobile. Right. Second thing. So yes, this looks horrible because all the blood that's spraying on her looks really, really bad. And the yes. reason they had to do it like that is because they did have practical blood that was spraying on her, mm-hmm. but it was freezing in the snow. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Part three, they call it a rooster tail of blood that just sprays out of her once we get the killing blow of this snowmobile. Mm -hmm. It looks bad to me. It looks like a cartoon snow cloud. It looks terrible. It's practical, Joe. Oh my god, no. Is it because it was freezing, right? I'm not even kidding. Yeah, it, 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 they, they had enough, I guess, to where they could do the, the plume of it. Right. And that is real. The blood that's, like, spraying over her, yeah, as it's revving, that is fake, clearly, sure. because, yeah, the blood they have kept freezing. But this big cloud of fucking uh, blood, that's real, and it looks like shit, because it looks like CGI. <laughs> that is absolutely wild. If you hadn't told me, I yeah, wouldn't have believed that's, you. That's what I'm saying! I mean, unless he's lying on the commentary, which is entirely possible. Maybe. But, but let's I, not speak ill of the dead. Yeah, but I feel I feel like he's I feel like he's telling the truth. So it maybe just be the way it's lit and or shot that it just looks fake, even though it's not. Right. I mean, I think anybody who knows things about how movies are made will tell you that you can replicate things on sets and it'll look fine. And then when you go to light it and shoot it, it doesn't look real anymore. Like, that's why they don't do rain with water. They do it with milk because it actually tracks on the camera to look like rain Mm, that makes sense that makes sense but that is truly unfortunate because this is probably the worst looking death in the entire movie even though the concept of it is fantastic hard agree on both counts it's so unfortunate but um yeah so rip one of our two lesbians has expired yeah but then we have sarah and kenya our two final girls true the other thing that we have is it is suddenly daytime It's fully so like there is no difference. It is just like one moment, it is the middle of the night, and the next moment, it is fully midday. And we're just seeing Kenny walk through this again, flat plain of snow. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. Yeah, so Kenya is walking, and then we see a hillocker coming up behind her on the snowmobile. But surprise, bitch! This is a trap that has been laid by Sarah, who whacks um, whichever one of the three. It's either one eye or something. Because one eye and Salty have the same body type, whereas three fingers, like the skinny, scrawny one. Yes, with a real bad mask. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Y'all, if y'all think these are bad, keep watching the series. This is true. Yes. (laughs) Sadly, the Hillikers never, they never look as good as they do in one. Stan Winston, man. Can't replicate it. Yeah. So the girls are like, sweet. Victory is ours. Our two final girls, they hop on the snowmobile and they ride off 
into the sunset and the movie is over trace well uh, so here's the thing and they point this out in the commentary too we get a crane shot like a crane shot of like oh we're raising up as we see mm-hmm. the snowmobile coming so we're like cool yeah the movie's over the movie is over <laughs> they have made it it's they've made it to the day and they have seemingly thwarted the villains and they have a ride to safety they don't even make it I think it's like one second they are on this bike and then all of a sudden their heads are flying off in slow motion. <laughs> you hear one of them just go, they're like, oh yeah, happy again. The wrong turn theme song is playing over mm-hmm. all of this. And then we just hear, oh no! And then mm-hmm. <laughs> their heads just fly off. Now, did you know, and again, commentary no, but apparently according to Declan O'Brien, the number one cause of snowmobile accidents is when right. they run into barbed wire fences. Yeah, I could totally believe it because, I mean, we see it in movies as a narrative device all the time, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to put up a tripwire and it's going to take somebody out, right? Like we see it in your next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is an actual thing. Like you could believe that the Hillikers set this up, but it's also like there's fully just a fence with barbed wire there that the girls probably just missed and inadvertently killed themselves. Yeah, I think they're on the road. It's like, bitch, Mm -hmm. get on the road. You're right next to the road <laughs> yeah because because they're in a fucking field next to the road it's, they're on the wrong side of the fence is basically what happened so now their bodies are on the right side and the heads are not yeah and so i mean y'all i cannot understate how hilariously good this ending is for this movie it is hilarious it is good it is hilariously good the film understands it as always because that slow motion of these heads which again doesn't look super oh, convincing but it's fine mm-hmm. because you implicitly understand what has happened and then we just get this like not quite extreme long shot but it's pretty far up and the the snowmobile just kind of like slowly drives off and then stops <laughs> and then yeah you know uh three finger pulls up in the truck that we know from the previous films it's the tow truck that's yellow he collects the heads drives off and we get the wrong term literal song (laughs) and that's wrong turn for bloody beginnings everyone it truly is yeah this movie is so stupid so (laughs) fun so surprisingly better than you would expect i really enjoy it i i agree with you honestly it's it's so funny because putting in my two and a half stars for letterbox i was like this is a two and a half star film but i wanted to give it that three just because i'm just Mm -hmm. like but it's just like it is just so fun. It knows it is not pretentious. It doesn't pretend to be anything it's not. It's not striving to be anything more than it is. No. And as a, a third sequel, mm-hmm. direct to video entry of a not great movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. Like, it just it just works for me. Um, and again, like, I, I'm comparing this next to three and five. So it's sandwiched between two of the worst entries in the franchise. Oh, yes. It's just it's it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And hopefully if you stuck around for this long, you have watched it or at least now you're curious about watching it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we laid the groundwork off the off the top. This isn't the best movie you're ever going to watch. But if you're looking for just a fun, cheap indie thriller. Yeah, this is surprisingly good. Like, and you're right. The fact that this is the fourth entry, they should be creatively bankrupt. They shouldn't have interesting kills. Yeah, the character work could be better. Yeah, the acting could be better. Yeah, the dialogue could be better. It's fine. Because if you're putting this on for what, like 90-ish minutes, it's just a good time. I mean, shit, you can just cut out the prologue and bam, we have a 78-minute movie. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. Well, Joe, I mean, any, I guess we've already kind of given our final thoughts, right? But do you have anything else to say about this? Uh, I guess the only thing I would say is I am curious about how people feel about the depiction of the lesbian characters in this mm-hmm. film, because I really do think you can read it both ways and both ways is right. Like, in some ways, the sexual frankness of it is refreshing, and I like that we're actually seeing it on screen. But also, you could look at it and be like, this is lewd, it's crude, it's male gazy, it's almost better, it's not in here. But I'm curious to know if people feel strongly one way or the other. Yeah, I, I actually am too, because I, I I agree with both. Like, where I'm like, this, this just feels like male teen masturbatory fantasy. But mm-hmm. I'm also kind of like, but good for the movie for showing lesbian cunnilingus i mean like yeah and like women clearly having the best sex out of all of these nine characters yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm in complete agreement with you and i I will co-sign on that that that, that was actually my one thing i wanted to know going out of this as well so (sighs) all right everyone well before we announce what we're covering next week um if you would like to get in touch with us you can reach us on twitter and instagram at horrorqueers or shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Uh, go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers and uh, our monthly hangouts where we talk about hot-button issues with some of our journalism peers. <laughs> if you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. Uh, if you want to show us some love, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want to show us even more love, Ooh. support us financially by becoming a patron. Yeah, go listen to those fucking Wrong Turn episodes. Oh we plug them. I mean, shit, we, y'all, we watched all seven of these Wrong Turn <laughs> movies and gave you an episode on it. That's it's worth trying. It's love. <laughs> anyway, so that is at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. So um, if you go there, though, um, we are now in December. So this month we've got episodes on Terrifier 2, Bones and All, Christmas Bloody Christmas, and Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. But the big Christmas present or holiday present for everyone this year is that we are going to give you a, an audio commentary on our favorite horror sequel, Scream 2. Yeah. So if you ever wanted to watch Scream 2 with me and Joe... Now's your chance to do it. Go listen to go. us. Uh, go get that commentary. So true. Joe, Um, what are we talking about next week? Well, as you mentioned, we are covering Glass Onion on the Patreon. So we thought it might be fun to do a little bit of a whodunit double bill. And you brought this film to my attention earlier this year when you watched it. And I was perplexed and interested So we're going to do a little mystery action on a boat trace and check out 1973's The Last of Sheila. So everyone, um, I want to point out that uh, it was actually Michael Verratti who pointed this out to us. I want to say in our episode on Psycho 2, he mentioned a movie called The Last of Sheila that was co-written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim. (laughs) Which is like, what? And you're, yeah, we were like, what the fuck? So immediately, well, not immediately, but like shortly after that, the Warner Archives released a Blu-ray of it and I bought it. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, again, it is a murder mystery on a boat co-written by two of the queeniest queens of the 70s you could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. With f- It's full of in-jokes about 70s Hollywood. So Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, it's a perfect companion piece for Glass Onion and it is legitimately a great movie so if you have not heard of it which as i had not either um i would highly recommend seeking this out because it is a is a gem nice yeah i haven't seen it but you and michael have plugged it so i'm very excited to check it out for the first time and also just like 
I love me some Perkins, so give me all that action. So bitchy. Um, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> but until then, we can cross out Wrong Turn for Bloody Beginnings. Indeed. And cross out Horror Queers. Thank you.